Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Good morning, church. Are you feeling the gladness of worship in the presence of Christ this morning? He's right here. He names you his friend. And he's right here. And at the heart of everything we do is this joy at the communion with Jesus Christ who's named us our friend. This was an awesome celebration. A couple notes. Uh, If you don't know this baptismal font, this goes back to like 1865. So there's been a lot of people who felt the grace of the Lord at this place. Not that that makes it magic or anything, but it's just cool, isn't it? And uh, and it's cool, uh, Pastor Lydia's first baptism, but most of all, Christy. So excited for what God is doing in your life. God bless you. Just de- delighted to celebrate with you the transformation. And, uh, and it just it encourages all of our hearts, doesn't it? So, uh, before we get into 2 Thessalonians, we're running straight through 2 Thessalonians. I want to take a minute here. Tomorrow is something in our nation that we call Veterans Day. And I was thinking, um, I was thinking about the last line of uh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, one nation, under God, indivisible. What? You kids know it with liberty and justice for all. I heard more adults than kids on that one, but you kids, you know it. And I was thinking about that liberty and justice for all. Any student of human history would tell you that is not the default human condition. That is a special thing. And we are blessed. We need to be grateful that that God has has given us the nation that he's given us to live in. And whatever your political persuasion or your party or this or that, we pause and we're grateful that God has given us a nation that is striving for liberty and justice for all. And that doesn't come free. There are those in every generation who have to stand and establish and defend a nation of liberty and justice for all. So I want to just take a minute and I want to ask if, if you are a veteran of any branch of service or active in any branch of service, would you stand where you are so we can just appreciate you as in the church this morning? Just go ahead and stand where you are. Thank you. Now, still, still standing there, still standing. If you are a family member of a veteran, if you're a family member of a veteran, or act, you guys have got to stand up down here. See, if I'm not saying it right, you've got to stand up right there. Yep. Okay. If you are in the military, active family, uh, stand up. We want to appreciate you for your sacrifice as well. We're grateful. Thank you. And if you don't know, we've got a military ministry going, and if you want to know more about that, please knock on us because we'll tell you everything about that. We're in 2 Thessalonians 2, a a series called Steadfast, and we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians 2, chapter 2, and as we open the scriptures, let's open our hearts to the Lord. Lord, this is a celebration this morning. There's a lot of gladness. There's a lot of gladness at being in your presence, and there's a lot of hardness in the world, and we're so grateful that you reach out and call us your friend and that you come and gather near us, and our hearts are open to receive your word. So let your word come like a seed implanted in our hearts, able to grow into fullness of salvation and eternal life through Jesus Christ, we pray. The church said, amen. 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 2 Thessalonians 2. 
Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by a word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Well, we had a great weekend starting this series off with Don Everts last weekend, didn't we? He did a great job. He kicked us off into steadfast. And I was watching him preach, uh, you know, on the online thing afterward. And, and as I was watching him preaching, I had this feeling in my heart, like this little thought occurred to me, like, oh, maybe I should have warned him about that. You know, like we warned him about a lot of things. Like we gave him the schedule, you got to go here, you got to go there. But every church has got its own little idiosyncrasies, right? These little things. I was like, ooh, maybe I should have told him. You know, the praise band's going to sneak out behind you and start playing music or whatever. You know, just those little things that I thought, oh, I probably should have warned him. It's like when you, uh, it's like when you loan somebody your car, right? And your car's got little tricks to it, you know? I've told you before about my Jeep that I had to park on the downhill so that I could pop the clutch to start it. Well, I remember uh, loaning that car, I think, to my mom. <laughs> and this was way before cell phones, and I just remember having this feeling like, ooh, I probably should have mentioned, right? And I probably should <laughs> that there's little tricks, there's little tricks. Well, that's what this passage is today. It's like, a, oh, I probably should have mentioned where uh, Paul, having written one letter to this church in, Thessalon- in Thessalonica, he's got more stuff the Spirit puts in his heart. It's like, oh, I probably should have mentioned. This is very early material, these letters to the Thessalonians. Probably 50 AD is probably when this letter was written. But already these confusions were popping up, these, these things that people were getting really wrapped around in confusion about. And so Paul writes the second letter. Oh, I probably should have mentioned. The church was struggling with some things. They were struggling with rising persecution. Like, why is it hard to follow Jesus in this world? And they were struggling with understanding this phrase, the day of the Lord. What does that mean? How's that going to help? And there was a third thing. They were, they were struggling because some people in the church, they were so solidly believing that Jesus was going to come back right away that they were quitting their jobs and moving into the, the basement. 
you know, living on the couch. Not as an act of laziness, as an act of spiritual faith, you know? Like, hey, this is not laziness. This is a super spiritual couch protest, okay? (laughs) But that's not what God called us to do. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And until he returns, we're called to be faithful. We're called to be diligent. We're called to be at it, at the work that God gives us to do. And we're called to be steadfast. And that's our word today, steadfast. But how do you hang on, how do you stay steadfast when everything around you seems to be slipping away? We saw a little bit about that last week back in chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is what? Say it with me. Increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance. Now, that word is our word steadfastness. If you didn't underline that last week, you could do that in your Bible, right? Steadfastness. It's that word that we were talking about last week. Your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. How do you stay steadfast? How do you persevere? How do you hang in there? Well, there's two parts of the equation. He says you got your faith, right? And your faith is growing. So we celebrate that you're going to persevere because your faith is growing. What it means is when you put your trust in Jesus, as you go through life and you're going through these ups and downs, what you have found is that your trust in Jesus is well-placed. And because you've trusted in him, now your faith is growing. The roots are growing deeper. Faith. The second part of the equation was, do you remember? It was love. And your love, not only do you have it, but your love is doing something. Your love is what? It's increasing. And it's your love for one another that's increasing. He says to the church, your ability to love one another is what gives me hope in your perseverance of faith. I wonder if you've thought about that. That that you persevering, you sticking with it, you holding fast to, to God... It doesn't all depend on you. A lot of it is going to depend on how you are loving one another in this very body. Does that make you look at the people up and down your row a little differently? As your love for one another increases, your steadfastness is growing, your rootedness in faith. You see, you look down the aisle, you think, I don't even like that guy, right? I don't care if you like them. You've got to love them. Because your perseverance depends on coming together. But listen, there, there are forces ripping at those roots. Between the first letter that Paul sent and the second came a fake letter. And the fake letter, it was all about the day of the Lord. And what it said to the church was that the day of the Lord has happened and you missed it. Anybody remember the Left Behind series? I knew a guy who came to faith reading that first Left Behind book on a plane. And... Does anybody remember that? <laughs> he was reading, and it's like, and the plane was going, and his plane was going, it was like, Jesus, I'm yours. And, but you remember that Left Behind series, the books, the movies? It was all about how the faithful, the believers, they were taken up. They were taken away. They were taken up to, to heaven. 
and we're still here, right? So that's a problem. We're still here. Well, that's not exactly what's going on in this church. Here's what's going on. The church in Thessalonica, they had such hope in the day of the Lord. It was such an important idea to them that this day was coming when God was going to set everything right, that God was going to bring this day when the broken things got fixed. And the people who, you know, the people who always get away with it, they weren't going to get away with it anymore. The evil ones, the the people that abuse people and hurt kids and, and lie and steal and cheat, and they're always getting away with it. They're not going to get away with it anymore. And God's going to come on the day of the Lord. He's going to fix what's broken. But this letter said, look, the day of the Lord came. And God decided not to fix all the stuff that needs fixing. So get used to it. This is as good as it gets. Now listen. If you and I were told, this is as good as it gets, I'd be a little disappointed. How about you? Because there's brokenness in this world that needs fixing. And I can't outline for you the future. I can't peer into the future and and I can't make an agenda for you of the day of the Lord. I can't really even uh, cut through the mystery of this passage that's in front of us this morning. But I can tell you this and I can tell you this with confidence. God is not finished yet. And what's broken is not fixed yet. Yet, and the day of the Lord is still coming. Amen? So, Paul says, hold fast. Be faithful. Be steadfast. Hold on to Jesus. Jesus is holding on to you. Uh, there's, a, there's an old saying that an oak tree is nothing but an acorn that held its ground. You ever heard that? Think about that for a minute. The greatest tree you see in the woods is nothing but a nut that's stuck to it. Are you with me yet? What we need to be, friends, we need to be just nuts enough, okay, to hang on to the soil when everything is pushing us off of it. We need to be just nuts enough. How many movies have you seen where someone's falling off the edge of the cliff and the hero rushes out and kind of reaches over and grabs onto their hand and says, I got you. But the person hanging there is like, I can't hold on. I'm slipping, I'm slipping. But listen, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, he's not going to let you go, is he? And so he just grabs on and heaves you over the edge. Now, in this case, in this case, Jesus is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go. No matter how much your, your grip is slipping and no matter how bad it looks, you can hang on. So we can't draw a map of the end times. I'm not going to hand out an agenda for the, the day of the Lord today, but you can know that it's on the way. And because you know it's on the way, you can hang on. You can be steadfast. And that's where the scripture is today. That's what it's trying to tell us today. And the scripture is very clear at places, uncomfortably clear in places, that a day is coming. A day is coming when all judgments will be conferred. And a day is coming when we will be separated out. And there will be those that are destined for eternal life with God, and there will be those that are destined for eternal separation from Him. 
I have a friend who told me last week, I try to tell my grandkids, you're going to live forever. You're going to live forever. And that can either be very good news or very bad news. It can either be eternal life with God or eternal life separated from God. And what the scriptures outline for eternal life separated from God is not pretty. And so between the ascension of Jesus, when he went up from his disciples into heaven, and and when he comes back, whenever that day is, we have this this moment, this interim, this this in-between time, a time of deciding. And in that time, the Spirit of God is at work, convincing hearts and building faith. But in that time, other forces are at work too. Dislodging your faith, poisoning your relationships with others, and with the church and trying to convince your mind that what's good is evil and what's evil is good. And what the scripture is saying this morning is we're called to hold steadfast against the dark forces that are trying to dislodge our faith, poison our relationships, and confuse our minds. But we can't hold fast. We've got to be just nuts enough, Right? There are three primary forces at work ripping at the roots, the flesh, the world, and the devil. The flesh, what is that? The flesh is that part of you that still resists the reign and the rule of Jesus in your life. That part of you that still resists. And sometimes, out of, out of habit or sometimes out of self-gratification or out of fear or or sometimes out of willful disobedience, we let the flesh take the wheel, don't we? We let it take the wheel. We let it drive the boat. And against this, our scripture said back in chapter 1, it said in verse 11 of chapter 1, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may wake, make you worthy of his calling, that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. So he says, when you've got a little desire for goodness, I pray that God, by his power, will bring that into a flower and into fruition and bear fruit by his power. And your every deed prompted by faith, that when faith prompts you, when Christ prompts you, hey, do this. I pray that you'll have the power of God in you to do it. So that everything you do, everything you desire, all of your deeds, they're not done for you. They're done for him who saved you. They're done for him who saved you. But your flesh kicks back at that. And the flesh runs right down through our passage this morning where it says in verse 2, don't be easily unsettled or alarmed by the things that we allegedly said. What does it say? It said, don't let yourself get all upset by something somebody says we said. Right? Does that ever happen in church? Oh, come on. (laughs) Don't let yourself get upset by something somebody said we said. That's just spinning up confusion. And then it goes on and says, don't let yourself, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. In verse 3, well, I want you to underline that little word let, L-E-T, because that's the key word. Don't let. So what's that speaking to? It's speaking to you're you're giving an allowance to the confusion. You're giving a a room to the lie. You're, You're allowing something to deceive you. Don't let it. But why do you let it? Because... Your flesh allows the deception because there's something in the lie that your flesh prefers to the reign and rule of Jesus. Don't let it. 
Hold fast. Hold on to Jesus. He's holding on to you. That's the flesh. The world. What about the world? Are we supposed to love the world or resist the world? Which one? Because every time, Tim, you get up here, you're batting me another direction, right? Are we supposed to love the world or are we supposed to resist the world? Both. And the passage this morning has given us a little bit of information on how the world will push you off. They'll push you off. So how does the world move against us? There's a lot of mystery around this phrase, the man of lawlessness, and what it refers to. What I want you to focus on is not so much, I wonder who that is, but the spirit of lawlessness. Look at verse 7 and 8. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Friends, is there anywhere that you see lawlessness at work in the world? All right, we agree. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Okay, I get the image, don't you, of someone kind of holding back evil, like there's a dam holding back evil, and and that evil doesn't get to do everything that it otherwise wants to accomplish. It's being held back. But at some point, that evil is going to be released. And what the Scripture is saying is, what if all that evil got distilled into one single figure? What would they be like? The man of lawlessness. Now we could debate back, what's the man of law? Who's the man of laws? What I want you to see is the spirit of lawlessness is already at work and the world is ripping at the roots. The flesh, the world, and the devil. The scripture is bold to name a name. Satan. There is an opponent in the spiritual realms who is actively seeking to destroy your life. And the power that he has, the way that he does it, is through lies. The only power that Satan has is deception. Now, when you believe the lies, then the damage sets in on your life. But the power he has is is to lie. Look at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. How does Satan work? He uses all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders, big show, big show, that serve the what? The lie. Just prop up the lie. Just prop up the lie. It looks like it's faltering. Well, prop it up. Prop it up some more. Everybody can see how false it is. No, prop it up. Prop it up. Serve the lie. Serve the lie. And uh, if we go on, and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus. And so be saved. It does no good to pretend that the evil one does not exist. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're told as a church to rush to forgiveness. Rush to forgive. Rush to forgive that person down the aisle from you. Rush to forgive that person that you had a bad interaction with, that disappointment that you had. You rush to forgive in the church. Why? Because it says, in order that, so that, in order that Satan might not outwit us. We rush to forgive so Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. But friends, I'm telling you, sometimes I feel like we are unaware of his schemes because we just act like there's no threat out there. We act like there's nothing pushing against us, ripping at the roots. Instead of like Peter wrote to his church, be alert and be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone 
to devour. He's out there and he's against us. And Jesus knew he was real. He faced him down a few times. And Jesus said, here's the motivation of his heart in John 10.10. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Friends, I'm telling you, there are evil forces at work in spiritual realms that are out there to wreck your life. And they want to steal and kill and destroy. And their weapons are lies and confusion. And it doesn't do you any good to pretend they're not there. We need to know they're there because otherwise you're just drifting down the river, you know, like with no clue that around the bend is this gigantic waterfall where hostile forces amassed against you. You need to know these forces are there ripping at the roots. But listen to me now. The evil forces do not win. The victory has been secured and they will never win. The only power that Satan has against you is to lie to you and when you believe the lie, you loan him that power in your life. But he cannot win and the evil forces cannot win and there's no question of who's more powerful. Look at verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the what? Breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. With the breath, it's not like there's going to be this great battle, this great cosmic battle. When Jesus comes, it's with the breath of his mouth that the evil is destroyed. Like, you're done. And the splendor of his coming, the very splendor of the light of his presence is enough to dispel darkness like that. As much as we believe the lie, We offer the evil forces power to damage us, to confuse us. When the truth comes, when the truth comes, when it comes into your mind, comes into your heart, comes into your life, the darkness is gone and the evil has no power. And the light of Christ holds on to you. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Church, read the back half of this with me as a church. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We know how Satan works. We know how Satan works. He props up the lie. And he drives to dislodge faith, poison relationship, and uproot us. But the life that Jesus has won for you, he will deliver. He will deliver. And no petty liar is going to keep him from it. Amen? Well, how do we stand there? How do we hold our ground when everything is pushing against us? When there's so many forces that are kind of blowing my, blowing my little acorn right across the ground, you know? Well, how do we hold on? when all the lies keep coming wave after wave, lies are dispelled by truth. Where do we find the truth? Truth is found in the word of God. When everything is slipping away, when everything is shifting sands, when it feels like the whole world is just sliding off of its moorings, the word of God is a place to stand. It is steady. It's true. It's a solid rock where you can build your life. 
And you can trust this word. You can trust the word of God. I was thinking the other day about how uh, when, I, when I was a teenager, I was thinking about the first time that I really came into contact with the tough questions. You know, the tough questions. Like, um, what does God have to say about dating? You know? Uh, what about uh, intimacy before marriage? What about abortion? Tough question. What about money uh, or the environment? Does God care what, how we treat the planet that, that he gave us? All these tough questions. And I was grateful. Here's the point. I was grateful that when I went through all those tough questions, when I wrestled with them, I was grateful that I was coming at them from a position of trust in this word, in this word of God. Why? Because I had met Jesus through this word. And not just the historical Jesus back then. I had met Jesus, my personal Savior, and he was interacting with me. He was coming alive to me, and I felt his grace, and I felt his forgiveness, and I knew his love and his mercy, and I felt his light in my life bringing meaning and purpose. And because I trusted Jesus, I could trust his word. And then I wrestled through all these tough questions. Friends, the lie only has you when you give it power. Truth dispels falsehood, and God's word is truth. Now, I want you to look at the hard, the hard verse. Did you catch it? Verse 11. I know we're over time, but I want to take a minute with you on this. Is God sending a delusion? Verse 11. What about God sending a delusion? Does that mean God is the author of lies? Is God a purveyor of confusion? No. Look at the whole passage here. Start at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. How's he work? Well, he uses all sorts of displays and power through signs and wonders to prop up the lie, serve the lie, and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. Well, who's perishing? They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Look at this now. Those who are perishing are perishing because they have believed the lie, refused the truth, and delighted in wickedness. What's this about God sending a delusion? Well, friends, when you have turned your back on God and you are in darkness, when God says, sends more light, when God sends more light over you, his light only serves to push you deeper into the darkness. The Puritans used to have a saying, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. What does that mean? It means it's all about the posture of your heart. If your heart is open to the Lord, if you're turning to the Lord with humility, if you're turning to the Lord and, and you're willing to have him work in your life, well, that grace, it's going to come over you like warmth to melt the ice. You're going to feel the warmth of the love and the grace of God. If you're turning away from God too proud, too hardened, if you've turned your back on him, God doesn't stop sending his powerful waves of grace, even though just now those waves are driving you from him. It's a challenge. It's a conviction. Take it as an encouragement. Turn around. Turn around. You can turn around now. 
as the praise team comes up behind me. When, when you feel that something's ripping at the roots, like the moorings are getting slipped and the foundations are getting, just like stuff that just, wasn't that common sense 10 minutes ago? You feel like all that is slipping away. You're right. There are forces that are ripping at the roots. But they only have the power that you give them. They don't win. They don't win in the future because they already lost in the past. And 2,000 years ago, right there, they lost. Because Jesus Christ came into this world and he allowed the darker forces and the evil powers to pour everything they had on him, to fire every gun, to unload every bit of ammunition they they had until the cannons were, you know, smoking and locked up and they were done and they fired it all and he received it all. And you know what? It killed him. And he died. And his body was laid in a grave, cold, and lifeless. But on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And now, those evil forces, they can deceive you. They can confuse you. They can prop up the lie and try to dislodge your faith, poison your relationships with others, confuse your mind. But they don't win. They only have the power you give them. Christ is one. And when you turn to him, when the truth comes, it dispels the lie and the darkness leaves and the sickness that leads to death becomes a seed of eternal life. And you're rooted and you're held steadfast by Jesus. Lord, there's so much that that pushes us off the ball. So many ways that we lose our ground, we lose our soil, we lose our place. So many ways that the foundations are coming apart underneath our feet sometimes. And Jesus, in those moments, I pray, hold on to us and help us to trust your grip more than ours, to trust what you're doing, and to know that you, by your grace, by your love, Hold us steadfast. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.